As an aside, that was very precious. <laughs> I almost take the sting out of the game. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to smile during the narrative, but that really melted my heart a little bit. Um, good Friday. I'm going to start with a question that a dear friend asked me. <laughs> What's so good about Good Friday? That's, that's an important question. Uh, you're going to have to tell me what you think after. All right. Yeah. What's so good about Good Friday? Um, I've been puzzling about uh, that question. I, I, I think I found out that I was taking it for granted that the movements, you know, if you've been a Christian for a bit, then you kind of know the seasons and the colors. Maybe. Um, it's easy to sort of put it in neutral and just sort of glide all the way to Easter and then, you know, get to the green season. It's pretty chill. But uh, I appreciate, Aaron, that you asked me that question because I really hadn't, I had to think about it. That's good. That's great. What is good about Good Friday? And I'll give you um, the scriptural answer. Um, it's a very small answer, really, in a way. And the test will be today will, will be to see if we can hold it. All right? So here it is. What's good about Good Friday? The goodness of Good Friday is that Jesus died on the cross, on the Roman cross, in our place. He took our sin into himself. And the cross where you and I should have died, we didn't, because he took that place for us. And so that's good we don't have to perish. Jesus did that for us. And when you think that through, that is the very best news. And there it is. Now, I know in, in saying that, um, I'm also well aware that this is probably the least comfortable or popular thing to say in our modern world. We've done so much to get away from that kind of thinking, that kind of explanation. Um, it felt weird to say out loud that way, but that's what it is. And I've been thinking about that. Because it's possible to say that and for you to think or to even say to me, well, that's okay, that's an answer. Don't really relate to that. Um, that doesn't sound good to me. It's a lot of content there, some of which makes me uncomfortable. The idea of a human being somehow being forced onto a device of torture and dying and somehow it's a good thing for me. I don't, I don't connect with that. Um, and if you were to think or feel that, I'm not here to judge you. I'll just say, yeah, that's in line with what the overwhelming, uh, our cultural moment. That's pretty normal. It's a pretty normal thing to feel and think. And I think it's also understandable. But I've been trying to process why that is, because it's important to know if that's in your heart, why that's coming about. Because if you don't process that, you have um, Good Friday, God's love will, will just pass you by. You can miss it. You can miss Good Friday, you can miss Easter. Many folks miss it for the, the entirety of their human lives, and that is a shame. So why is it that we recoil? Jesus dying on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. 
A lot of reasons. But I think a big one is that to admit to that is to receive and admit to guilt. All right? Because if someone's dying for you, for your sin, and you say, yes, that's true, then you're saying, I'm guilty. I've done wrong. Whatever that sin thing is, I'm guilty of it. And I have to admit that. And that is wildly uncomfortable. It's not a likable thing. And I've noticed that we do so much in our modern world to deflect that reality. I was, um, I was talking to uh, um, my best friend. It's funny to say that. I guess he is. Um, on the phone, he lives in Ontario. He's a counselor, he's going to study psychology, and he's uh, working at our office down there. And he just got a new job, so was, you know, part of the talking to him to congratulate him, but also just to see how he's doing. He's checking up on me. It was my birthday recently. A great conversation. And um, actually, he's the reason I became a Christian. But anyways, we we're uh, catching up, and I had some questions. I've done therapy over the years, and I've been uh, for me, I feel very blessed. Uh, my counselor, she's. A wonderful person, uh, also a Christian. So she can also uh, counsel me with that sort of shared background that we have. So I really value that. Um, but I also know that's not the norm. Right? People are counselors and are not Christians. And I know that my good friend works in an office where, in a sense, he doesn't bring his um, faith into the workplace. That's pretty normal across the board for most of us, except for me, I guess. But um, so I was asking him about that. Like, how do, you, how do you negotiate that? How do you navigate those waters? And he said to me, I'm paraphrasing, that when he, especially when he was in school, he found it very challenging to find a mentor to guide him through a lot of um, what he was trying to do because he wanted to specialize in what I guess it's called, this is what he told me, uh, psychodynamic therapy, which how I understand it, how he explained it, is that you look in, uh, at the complexity of the human person and find various strands maybe even from childhood, that contribute to maybe the, the struggle or the trauma that the person today experiences, right? It also allows for, you might even say, moral complexity. It's a very nuanced approach, and that's what he wanted to do. But he said, you know what? It was very challenging for me to find a mentor because overwhelmingly everyone that I talked to um, were involved in what he called uh, positive, positive psychology, positive therapy, and he gave me the outline. He said, this way of thinking about helping a, a, a client is to assume that all people are essentially good and that the challenge or difficulties they're encountering are due solely to the circumstances they find themselves in or the systems of oppression or injustice that they're caught in. Right? So it doesn't really deal with uh, the moral valence of the person's choices. They're a victim. They're essentially good. And that's not what he wanted. He didn't believe that. He doesn't believe that. So that was, it was very hard for him. But he found someone. Praise God. All right. That was a very sobering conversation to hear that from him. Because I think what he described in his professional sphere is true of our world at large. It's common wisdom, accepted wisdom to say, we're all basically good people. Yeah, I make some mistakes now and then. But I'm basically good. But then we look, you don't even have to do a careful analysis. You can just do a cursory glance at human history, 
can be honest with the way that, of how we live our lives. And I think you would struggle to support that claim. There's too much suffering, too much death that forms human history to come to a conclusion that human beings are basically good, but we make some mistakes sometimes. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. I'll tell you right now. No, it seems more likely that there's a fundamental fissure in what it means to be human, a brokenness, that when I want to do good, I habitually or chronically just skew, I just skew, I do the wrong thing. It's easier for me to be selfish and greedy, than to be generous. Way easier for me to be defensive and pot sharp people than to be gracious and nuanced and understanding of the other. And I'm saying about myself, I don't want to put too much on your off of that, but I will say, I'm not, I'm pretty basic, man. I'm not that unique. I'm pretty regular. And when I look at history, I think a lot of us are just regular. Day to day, wanting to do good, struggling to achieve it. And that's a weight. Because when you're little, as I'm realizing again of my beautiful daughter, she's seven and eight soon, asking interesting questions. But I can see her working things out, reading through Harry Potter and so they have all these complex characters. But often she'll say, um, well, wait, wait is, that, is this a good guy or a bad guy? Right? Because it's black and white. You're the good guys, you're the bad guys. And I know, I love this about her, she wants to say, I'm one of the good ones. Right? I'm a good guy. And I want to say that too. I'm a good guy. And then you get older, and the more you read, the more you learn, the more you're aware of your surroundings, you realize that it's complex. By the time you realize goodness is actually difficult to achieve, you realize that you're trapped, you're enmeshed in a web, for example, of systemic injustice and evil. Right? In the most things that seem the most innocuous things, you pull out a cell phone, and then some of the crucial elements to make that cell phone work come by illegal mining in African nations, usually children used, often slavery. And you learn that, you have a cell phone. So much of our lives depend on this device. Just one example, and you're caught. Ooh, I'm complicit. Or then you learn that the clothes that we wear often, sweatshops, people who are not compensated fairly, if at all, horrible working conditions. I wanna wear clothes. What? I've been wearing them for years, I'm trapped. I'm, I'm, I'm complicit. Or how many conversations that I have this past season, people saying, well, we're Canadians, we're loved, we're the good guys. And then having to face, maybe for the first time, the residential school realities in this country. Right? We're not Americans, we're the good guys. I don't know, man. You see the weight? That's hard. Don't, I want you, I'm not trying to just throw shame at you to do a little reverse, now you need Jesus, that's not it. But it's honesty, right? We just be honest about the net we find ourselves in. So when you take all that in, you start thinking about your life and what you, the world you live in, you start thinking, well, you know what, that's hard. Because then if you have to be honest, you have to say, well, I'm, I wanna do good, but I'm also part of the problem. And the key strategy that I've recognized in the world we have to deal with that 
key strategy, nice deflection, is to, that's a heavy moral weight. The way we change that is by diffusing the moral power and saying, well, morality is relative. That's a great strategy. Because it's a relative world. You have your way of seeing right and wrong. I have my way of seeing right and wrong. I'm not going to accept that from you that you're going to pour all this guilt on me. I'm going to process it in my own way, my own speed, and we have different moralities. And yeah, that's the way to go. That's a very interesting strategy because it's out there, everywhere. It's everywhere. And what I find maybe troubling is that someone in the same sentence, in the same breath, can say something like, oh, you know, morality's relative. What's right for you, wrong for you, is not for me. And with that same breath say, and sexism is wrong, and racism is wrong, and massive housing security is wrong. Same breath, same person. That happens. That's, it could almost be funny if it wasn't so damaging to an honest spirituality. that doesn't cohere. If you find something in this world that's actually wrong, like slave children working on illegal mines to provide us with iPhones, or to provide us with clothing, or to be eliminated as a people, if we say that's wrong, once you encounter wrongness in this world, wrongness exists. And it can't be written away by a fanciful modern morality that says that things are relative. That's, that's not honest. But then all you're left with is the weight of the guilt. And that is heavy. It's heavy. I don't know that you could actually really live with it. Even if you became Amish today, it wouldn't undo the damage from that day before. So what do we do? Here's the good. This is the good. Because once you recognize all this, you have to know God has known about this forever. See, God looks at us and he sees a world suffering. We hurt ourselves. Macro, nations against nations, wars, even right now, it's happening. Right? But that those realities, international realities, also show up in our relationships, right now, there are people in your life and you won't forgive. Me too. Me too. Sometimes I say things because I think I've been hurt and I want to cut someone. I intentionally hurt. Not accidental. We do that. And create this spiral of hurt. And it's hard to get out. In fact, it's impossible, which is why. God saw us in that brokenness, in that loneliness. He didn't wipe us away as he could have. God says, we're going to make this right. And then God shows up in the person of Jesus and then lives the life that we should have lived. Loved God perfectly. God loved people perfectly and said, there's a problem at the heart of the human race and I'm going to heal that. 
Now, I want you to notice what he didn't do. Because Jesus is offering a solution to the human problem. And watch what he didn't do. He didn't come and bring us the perfect politics. He could have. Listen, Roman Senate, still not working. Let me bring you the politics that will change the human race. He didn't do that. Or was it an idea? I am God, I'm Jesus, and I've replaced Plato and Aristotle. I have the philosophy, the way of thinking that's going to change the human race. Did Jesus do that? No, he didn't. Because it's not an idea. Did he say, what you need is better technology, and I'm God, I can bring it. Did he come with the latest Android device? No. He didn't do any of that. Do you know what he did? We were restoring him last night. He came and had a meal with his friends, and he broke some bread, and he gave him some wine, and he said, this is my body, this is my blood, this is my life for you. And in this mystery is the healing of the nations, the whole world. And they took it. I don't think they really understood what they were taking, but they ate the food. Then they saw their friend Jesus have a panic attack in the garden. He's about to die. And then he's illegally arrested, horribly beaten. And he's crucified on a Roman tree. And he cries out. He says, Dad, where are you? You're dying right there. And you know what? No one answered him. They just experienced loneliness and he died in darkness. The only person that didn't deserve to be there. And he did it, you and for me. Because in a way that I can't fully delineate right now, he took all of our pain, our suffering, our evil, the justice that we deserve, he took it into his own body, into his own being. And as he was being killed, he killed that. He killed that evil in his body. He killed his body for a time, but we know, hopefully, he didn't stay dead. He comes back to life. Not symbolically, not as a spiritual illusion. Really, his body, he comes back. But even death can't hold him. And this Jesus comes back to life and he says to his friends and everyone, the problem of the human race has been solved. All you have to do is trust me. Oh, but I want to do all these spiritual movements. I want to do all this philosophy, this politics, this technology. No, all you have to do, trust me. And if you put me, my life, at the center of your life, you will do things that have been impossible for you. You will forgive those who you can't forgive. When someone hurts you and you want to shoot back, you will find the resources to be patient and generous and kind. When injustice occurs to you, you won't pretend it's not injustice, but you'll find resources you didn't have to address it in a way that isn't vengeance, that doesn't perpetuate hatred and violence. Isn't that what we need in this world? Isn't that what we need? Wouldn't that be wonderful to trust Jesus and then to become like him? 
What a world that would be. Well, that's why Jesus died. That's why it's Good Friday. But it's going to land as good in your heart if you let it. You have to let it. Right? You have to be willing to accept. I have to accept. I'm guilty. I needed the cross. Right? But it lets me be honest about who I am. I don't have to lie. I mean, if you've known me for a while, you know that I ain't right all the time. But I don't have to pretend that I'm something I'm not. I am broken and ill-shaped, and yet I'm, I'm loved by God. I know that. My mistakes are mistakes. I gotta say I'm sorry. And then I, I live one day at a time. Every day, God give me his grace to love and to be gracious and to be kind. And that's how you change the world. It starts with Jesus. So my hope is that you would look at the cross of Christ, his passion, his suffering, and uh, and not try to diffuse it, right? Not try to say, well, that's not really history, or that's an illusion, or, well, morality. Don't diffuse it. Let it be real. Try give it a chance. And say, hey, I needed this. And then see what happens to your life. Test it. Test it. Trust Jesus today on his terms, not on ours. On the terms in scripture. Trust him. Live your life in that light. It's changed my life. I know it can change yours. To that end, let us pray. How gracious and loving God. We give you thanks that although the tapestry of human history is littered with our rejection of you and violence to our brothers and sisters, God, we thank you that you don't write us off. You don't bring fire and darkness on us. Instead, you come to us humble, meek and mild, offering us your love, your very life, offering Jesus on the cross to save us from our sin. God, I pray for each person in this room if there's anything in our lives that are blocking your love, penetrating our hearts, I pray that we remove that. And I pray that whatever doubts we have that prevent us from taking steps of faith, God, you're so great. Answer those questions. Draw us to you deeper every day. Help us to love as you would have us love. Help us to forgive the way only you can forgive. This we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.